We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's a We did it, everybody. We soldiered on. We pushed through. We got there together. It's finally time that we can discuss transfers. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, the Blockman, Twitter, Yankee Gunner. After a season of acrimony, of challenge, of, of arguing, of debating, of hope, and of misery, and yes, there are two games left. I am aware of that, and we will get to that. But we have arrived at the moment we all strive for to get through the football, to get done with the football, so we can really sink our teeth into spurious transfer rumors, argue about them, and tear each other to bits over whether or not a backup left-back option is something Arsenal Football Club should be thinking about. So I am really looking forward to that. I hope you are too. Uh, Thank you so much for being here. We just love that you are uh, uh, willing to listen to us talk about Arsenal and football generally. Um, And we are thrilled to, to share this with you and, and all the engagement. And I, you know, I know that these are confusing times as Arsenal fans. So hopefully we're all working through the process together. We're going to try to put together some very uh, special and specific Euros content this summer. And the way I pronounce that, I think it might've been confused with Euros, like the, the Greek sandwich or pita sandwich with uh, lamb in it. I didn't mean that. I meant the Euros, the the football tournament in the summer. Although, if you want food-related content, we can bring people on for that. So hopefully that'll be fun. Uh, let me stop this rambling nonsense because it's going nowhere uh, very fast. Pause on Twitter. Pause my pants. Hello, pause. Oh, that's that's a horrifying mute button incident there. You want to try it again? Uh, <laughs> there you go. I should have just done it for you. Tim's on Twitter. Stuberto. Hello, Tim. Hello there. Tim now has the uh, the Yeti microphone, which means you have a physical mute button as well. So I look forward to adventures with that for you as well. 
I'm still using the Skype one just to be just to be safe. It's very close to the hang up button, so I'm glad you haven't missed that <laughs> yeah, in the true. past. Uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive PFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. No issues Clive's with the mute button. Good way to go, Tim. Good. Yep. Good. <laughs> okay. I, I do like the physical mute button myself. We can all discuss mute button tactics uh, on our mute button podcast. But uh, one big <laughs> announcement: it is my birthday today, and so oh, wow. uh, as a happy birthday to me, if you want to leave us a review for the podcast, happy birthday, oh, Elliot. Yeah, it's my thirty seventh birthday again. Um, so. If you want to leave us a review uh, anywhere, especially on Apple, but anywhere, we'd love it. It'd be a wonderful birthday present. And on the second podcast this week, we will pick out some reviews um, and and send some people some gifts for the, for the reviews. So thank you for that. I know a lot of you have done it, and it, it does mean the world. So thank you. And that that will certainly suffice um, as a birthday present. Or if you're like, why would I give you a birthday present? Just leave a review to be nice to Clive, Tim, Paul, and Scott. Okay. Um, let's start just real quick, Tim, with you. Before we get into Joe Montemurro, I do want to ask you one very important point, though. You have been mm-hmm. really the lone, loud voice on this podcast that is anti-VAR. I assume you are yeah. ready to apologize to everybody for that now? <laughs> <laughs> Look, uh, terms and conditions may apply. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, um, if, yeah, yeah. if one of those terms and conditions is Chelsea thinking for a full 90 seconds that they've scored a last-minute equaliser in an FA Cup final, only to discover that they haven't, then I will live with that. I think what was great about that moment, though, wasn't just the, ha-ha, it's Chelsea. It's like the, the crowd made it, right? And we had this discussion, and I think, I think this brought our discussion of last week about what crowds add really really brought it to the fore in this cup final because it's not just the Tielemans goal where you see everyone going spare behind the goal but it's this moment as well where it's you know, ripped you've away got, <laughs> yeah 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 but you, you know you get the Chelsea fans celebrating but then the reaction of the Leicester fans mm. and the only other time I've heard a roar like that I think was unfortunately was the Man City Spurs Champions League semi-final where you get for about a minute City think they've won it and then they don't and Mm. and yeah of course you celebrate that moment like a goal because it is basically it's like scoring a last minute winner and that's what I've always been dubious about this argument well not dubious I don't agree with the argument that like oh VAR adds to the drama I think it adds to the tedium most of the time however in this rare scenario it did add to the drama Um, and because it went the way I wanted it to it was great I think VAR should always exist as long as it produces outcomes that I agree with, which is basically what we all think about all refereeing incidents at all times. Um, I do want to touch on the FA Cup and Brendan Rodgers and Lester a little bit before we get into uh, Sander Burge and Ryan Bertrand. I mean, don't blow your hair back, people. I know it's getting exciting around Arsenal, but we'll get to that stuff. David Luiz, Willian. Um, But but Tim, before we move on, Joe Montemurro leaves the club four years in charge Mm -hmm. of Arsenal football, uh, the women's team, of course, and a really special figure and someone that it's easy enough to go read all the articles online or look at all the interviews. So rather than rehashing things that are sort of out there publicly, could you maybe just give us quickly your thoughts on him um, as a man, as a coach, why you will miss having him around Arsenal and, and maybe just your personal experience with him? Yeah, sure. So I'll caveat all this by saying that none of this is like a good reason for a coach to stay. I think ultimately, he, he I, I spoke to him on Wednesday and uh, at the end of the interview, he just said, my cycle's done and I know it's done. Um, and a, a lot of that shows you that he's a he's a pretty honourable guy as well. He had two years left on his contract, could have sat on it. But um, he knows that perhaps his message is... Uh, maybe his message is going stale. I don't know, but like they have underperformed this year, uh, according to the talent they have, and and he's taken that decision. Um, it frightens me a bit that Arsenal didn't take the decision for him, but that 
probably tells you a lot about Arsenal, but he took it um, when he could have he could have sat there on that contract for another couple of years. Um, so I, I do kind of think it's the right time. But as for like my personal experience with him, I've I've always got on with him really really well. We've we've always got on, and um, it it's because. I think a lot of us, um, and what what I mean when I say this is the sorts of people who maybe listen to this podcast get frustrated when we hear like press conferences and people who have access to managers and they ask them things like, I don't know, what do you think about David Bowie dying <laughs> and <laughs> stuff like that and mm. and just like absolute nonsense. I was at a cup final one with Arsene Wenger once and Samir Nasri had been left out of the France I think 2014 World Cup squad and they kept asking him about it and it was like mm. he left three years ago who cares this is about the FA Cup final mm. and so when you have that opportunity yourself and you think I'm going to do all the things that I wish I could see other people do and frankly in the women's game it's it, there is a greater degree of openness and trust so you get that kind of opportunity. So for me personally, I did ask him like largely uh, tactical questions. I asked him about other stuff as well. Cause like that's just part of the job, but I'd always ask him about tactics and, and things like that. And the kind of things we discuss on this podcast, imagine if one of us got to speak to Mikel Arteta every week and kind of say, Hmm, why, why did you do that there? Or I noticed in the second half you did this. Why did you do that? And so having the opportunity to do that is, is obviously great. But then having a manager who absolutely responds to that and enjoys talking about that, really, really enjoys talking about the tactical side. Mm. He's a very tactical coach. He, you know, he slightly tweaks the game plan, not not Unai Emery style, but like they have a principle for the way they play and then they'll identify like one or two weaknesses in the opposition and they'll look to exploit it. So the game plan is slightly tweaked every time. And um, and he really enjoyed talking about that when I talked to him about it. So I'd say something like, mm, it looked like uh, the left back today was coming into midfield a lot. Why did you do that? And then he'll explain it in detail, um, w- which is fantastic, which was fantastic for the content and everything like that. But um, he, he really enjoyed talking about that. And um, we struck up a rapport because he liked answering. Basically, you know, I asked questions that he enjoyed a- answering and I very much enjoyed the way he answered those questions. It was a real education. So, mm. um, yeah, kind of interesting. Like it's unique that you can ask a question one week, as you say, and kind of almost build on it week by yep. week. I mean, I'm sure it didn't quite unfold like that, but like you could, you could, you basically have a continuity of conversation, even if it's exactly, yeah, it, exactly. And um, without blowing my own trumpet well I, I don't know if this is blowing my own trumpet really because it's not it's not something that's like um that's amazing or anything but i'm pretty much the only person who spoke to him that regularly mm. like i was every press conference um pre-covid i talked to him a lot kind of um not even on mic you know just about football and things like that and he, he was very very receptive to that very i think forward thinking coach loves playing attacking kind of proactive football etc etc and and yeah we just um we we just really got on and um yeah the nice moment uh yesterday on sunday his last game um where he kind of came over and he said look i I don't usually do selfies but today's my selfie day um so he did he did one with the team obviously um and all of his staff and some of the guys from arsenal.com um and he asked me me for one as well which which was really nice and like but he, you know, he's he's got that um, 
I, I can only comment on his coaching from afar a little bit and from having those conversations with him. But obviously, I'm not on the training ground, so I can't tell you how the players respond to that. But as a man, you can't help but respond to him. And and he, he grew up as an Arsenal fan, um, albeit in Australia, um, but strong Italian. Like he speak, spoke Italian at home. Um, big into Italian football as well and um, yeah he he was just um, he was a real Arsenal man he talked a lot about the values of the club and representing the club in the right way and he'd tell his players not to kind of complain to the referee and things like that like there was a fair bit about him that was a a bit Wenger-esque and uh, I I guess I'll close this out with the anecdote that it was actually Art Duroche from the, The Athletic who asked him um, whether he'd had the chance to meet Arsene Wenger and, and Joe told this story and, um, you know, referred to him as Mr. Wenger. He said, you know, you come into this this training ground and Mr. Wenger's touches are everywhere and you can see that this is his club. And he talked about uh, Joe's mum died um, in Australia in March 2018. So he went back to Australia and he said, you know, I was out like with my wife, like sorting out funeral stuff. And I came home and um, there was a letter, um, handwritten letter from Arsene Wenger um, and he just said, like it, he, he described. He, he was a little bit tearful when he said, you know, it's probably the most amazing moment of my life. And you know, he said that that's like that's what I want from a football club. I want to be at a football club like that. Um, and yeah, it was mm. it was just um, it was a really nice kind of anecdote. And I, I think I think there's a lot about him that's that's Vengarian, shall we say? Well, we certainly wish him luck in whatever he goes on to do. And you may not want to blow your own trumpet, but I will blow your trumpet and say that I think you've done a phenomenal job covering him, covering the women's game this season. And I look forward to reading more of your stuff and, and following more of your work with that and getting more into it myself because I, I think it's, you know, it's a phenomenal game that they are playing and it's it's getting more competitive and and I think attracting more people to it. So kudos to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Done. well I agree totally. And and uh, so yeah, so you don't have to blow your own trumpet. If I could blow my own trumpet, I'd never leave the house. But that's another story altogether. Um, okay, so let's dive into nonsense a little bit. Let's let's start with the FA Cup final. <clears throat> we can get to the transfer stuff because I know that'll keep people sticking around. Haha. Um, Paul, the FA Cup final. I saw a lot of people saying it's the best game of the season, and I watched it. And I thought it was really exciting. But I wonder if it felt like the best game of the season because there were fans there. You know, and, and it, it it just goes to show you how much even some fan presence can totally transform those edgy, cagey, nervy moments into tense, exciting, dramatic moments and how much the drama comes from the fans being there. So that was great. But let's let's sort of focus on what it means for Leicester and, and sort of what they've done. This is a club yeah. that, you know, I think we have a lot of appreciation for in terms of the way they go about doing things. They have an owner, well, an owner who, whose father passed tragically, obviously, and, and now he has to, you know, he, he's connected with the community. He seems invested in the club's success, but they have a process. They've stuck with it, and part of that process, you know, is bringing in Brendan Rodgers. They've been willing to get rid of coaches, even who had some success, like a guy who won them the league. Where do you, where do you fall on the Brendan Rodgers debate right now? Um, is he is he an elite coach? Is he in that elite echelon? Or is he the classic guy who, if you give him a team that's got some talent, he can extract the level that that talent can produce? What's your what's your take on, on Rodgers? Because I think he deserves a lot of credit for what he's done with Leicester, and I'm not really sure where he sits in most people's esteem. Yeah, um, so I think... Uh, 
Brendan Rogers is great, honestly. Um, <clears throat> which, given the amount of time I've spent online taking the piss out of him, uh, <laughs> oh, he deserves expect- it. <laughs> Trust me, <laughs> he's a lunatic. <laughs> I expect to hear from him or his people. Uh, a bit like t- t- I'm waiting for Tim Payton to um, ping me and call me a hypocrite. But anyway, um, I'm I'm expecting Brendan Rogers and his people to be in touch with me uh, very soon to say the feckin' nerve of you. But no, <laughs> like even when he was at Liverpool, uh, I re- like when almost I wouldn't say almost nobody, but anyway, I'll go with when almost nobody seemed to like him. I thought he was a very good coach. I didn't uh, I couldn't. It was such a bit of a cluster when he was at um, Liverpool that it was hard to work out what the hell was going on. But I actually thought you could see all his flaws there. He was still comical. The David Brent stuff was coming through. Oh, you know the thing where he takes out the envelope with the uh, um, I got three envelopes here, he says, at the start of preseason. I think it was uh, it was in the documentary. And I've written down three names on here from the squad here of three people I know will disappoint me this season or something like that. And like everybody was taking the piss out of him. Apparently he got that one from Alex Ferguson. So um, it's not so much what he did, though that got the piss royally taken out of it. It's kind of the Brendan Rogersiness of it. And yet when you talk to the people who played with him for him, by and large, they all thought he was bloody great. He's big into the psychology, the motivation, um, He's got a hell of a story. Now, the, your question was, what kind of, what do I think of him or what do I think of him yeah. now? I, I think he's great. Is he elite? I mean, that's a tough one. That's like, is he world class when you're talking about a footballer? Well, is that 11 players are world class? Is it the top 22? You know, how do you mean? I think he's really close to elite and maybe time will tell. He's not just a guy who does a good job getting a job. Getting a performance out of a group of guys, I think he does get that synergy. He does find an emergent property within a group of players that takes them to a little different level. He's obviously tactically very flexible. Um, he's incredibly smart. It's interesting this year because you look at you know we have our struggles and and yet you know uh, in the latter two thirds of the season our our overall numbers and per, and and stats and stuff make us look like we're kind of reasonable and you say well how can that be with uh, we're getting mixed signals here we're we're struggling so much and yet uh, the numbers aren't that bad and you look at teams like Leicester where they'll they'll lose a stupid game they'll get beat by Newcastle but then they'll uh, take on the big guys and look really really great it's been a tough season to evaluate most teams i think mm. um but he's he, he seems to have kept them going in the league to where mm. they're well on track for a top four which is an amazing performance winning the fa cup is great um and i think the other interesting thing with me and brendan rogers is it's a club that we look to where more and more we're like how did they do that but it's also a club that um, Leeds is modeling themselves on and you can read quite a bit on how they've said let's do a Leicester City we'll patiently work on their model and when you look at their model Brendan Rogers isn't a coach he's a manager has a lot of say on hiring recruiting etc now um, so as we 
talk about what our arsenal model should be, the continental model, etc. When we look at the maybe the club that we would tend to look at to learn the most from, at least as supporters, I think what's really interesting about Leicester is how understandable they are. Like you look at a Liverpool, it's not that easy to work out what they do and how they do it. Um, in some ways, Leicester seems the most accessible of clubs. It's a simple structure. They got a uh, a director of football or a technical director. They got a manager. Uh, they got good scouts, and it just seems like they execute well. As opposed to they have some weird construction of a football club, a structure, a complex continental model with a director of this and a director you know it's a very classic manager director of football head of scouting it's very understandable and yet they execute so well in the market in their recruiting and you know we're going to talk a little bit about um, <laughs> just a little bit uh, names <laughs> um, but, but they don't always they've got a lot of 23 24 year olds it isn't always the 23 24 no. year olds when you look at their history, they just they do a bit of everything well, and but yeah, I think Rogers is really really uh, like he's always a name that comes to yeah. mind certainly lately for Arsenal because mm. uh, if you were going to make a coach into a manager, Rogers probably has enough of he's been a scout, he's been a tactics guy, he's been a uh, he's been the guy who assesses competition, etc. And he's been there. He's been through it all. He's made his mistakes. He's probably the better fit for the coach who's really a manager. <clears throat> yeah. Um, by comparison, like if I, if I had to just pick a name right now as to a, some, you said I'm taking Arteta away from you, Paul. Uh, pick one who'd fit in with this bunch and get a tune out of them and would fit within the Arsenal organization and be enough of a manager to work within our organization, he'd probably be the one. Yeah, it's weird, right? Because like, I don't feel like I'd want him, but I can't articulate what's wrong. Um, yeah. You know, at Liverpool, he took a team that had a great attack and a terrible defense, and he did exactly what you'd expect. He produced a scintillatingly great attack and a really bad defense. At Leicester, he's, I think, exaggerated their strengths and exposed some of their weaknesses. He he does seem to be a guy, to me, who if you had a strong football structure and a good, reliable process of recruitment, you could put in place and say, he will tell us if we've succeeded. Do you know what I'm saying, Clive? Like, what I mean is, if you want a manager who's going to show you if your process was effective, he's the guy because he's going to get you what your squad should get if you've given him good attackers and bad defenders he will build you a good attack and a bad defense you know what i mean um and so i think i think he will produce roughly what you've delivered for him and 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 that's fine i think the thing with lester that we know is that they have a process that seems to be effective and one thing that i think we should never do is be too dogmatic no process should be inflexible you know if you are driving down the road and you're like, my process is that I always go exactly five miles an hour over the speed limit <clears throat> or five kilometers per hour over the speed limit, whatever it is. And then, you know, there's someone in front of you that starts slowing down. You're not going to just drive through the back of the car. The point is like, you can have a process, but it should be flexible. That analogy was shit and I don't want it given me back again in the mentions anywhere. Um, so Clive, in terms of, you know, looking at Lester, and we'll move on from Lester and talk about our transfer targets and our outgoings and stuff like that. But do you do you have any strong feeling about the, the job Brendan Rodgers has done and what they're building there and and 
you know, how, how you might reflect on that for our situation? Uh, yeah, I think the last bit is key. I think let's bring it back to a little bit to Arsenal. So, <laughs> please, yes, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I, I do like a coach that's flexible. And this guy has had a, a youth background, so when you're a youth coach, you tend to use multiple formations because you want to educate your players to play in different systems. That's part of your job as coach educator, right? So, so I like the fact to use different systems. So, primarily, let's use have a four-one-four-one. All right. Yeah, four one four one. Indeed, in front of the back four, little triangle there. Madison off one side, Tillemans off the other. Vardy up top. Um, a series of punchy wide men. Um, doesn't matter. Or Brighton, Harvey Barnes, whatever you want. Sometimes you fall back Pereira there. And it was all great until they had to suffer. They had a number of injuries. Right? They lost um, Harvey Barnes. They lost Madison, who really was the guy that's really behind the striker per se. And they lost a, a number of key people in that team. And he had to find another way. Like Jamie Vardy, for all the fact he got an FA Cup, he's starting to look a little bit old. you know. And um, and he was not running behind as much and people were dropping off. And so it started to fall down. And much like Arteta when he had some key injuries, this is the bit where experience comes in. Because when he had his key injuries, he went straight to a back three. Right? So Nunchu came back in from, from injury. The final was starting to creak a little bit, but in the back three, we experienced from Etienne, where he had a back three on occasion. He could hide the youngster in there with, with Johnny Evans pointing and clicking him. And so straight away, back three, that used his wing backs in a slightly better way. He could use all Brighton as a wing back rather than a midfielder. So what I thought he did really well was reacted to the injury, reacted to the failing parts of his team. Ian Acho, somebody who's always been on the fringes, suddenly he was put into a front two. Suddenly, he's doing Jamie Vardy's running for him. Mm. Jamie Vardy's now changed his role so smartly as a 33, 34-year-old and not become so goal-obsessed, but use his movement to distract away from Ian Acho. Ian Acho scores goals, transforms their season. Without his goals, they're not in the top four now and they may not still make it. Right. So, Madison gets injured. Perez is never really convinced in a front role, but put him behind the front two a little bit better. So what he's done, he put a system in place which really maximised the strengths of the players that he had available. And you know me, Ellie, you've heard me say it before, you know your players, put them in positions of strength to succeed. Now, if you look at what Arteta did when we, we lost our left back, what did we do? Well, we know what we did, didn't we? We weakened our midfield by taking out our highest touch player. We had a situation where we didn't maximise other players. We didn't look try to replicate our game in any which way or form left foot is where they should be and it's ultimately cost us right so both really smart coaches one learning how to react under pressure and adapt one has just got you could say got away with it or done it doesn't matter the results are there both won FA Cup in the last year or so both really smart how you apply your intelligence is key there is no point in being smart you don't know your players can't see your weakness, and you don't apply it. Now, coaches get it wrong all the time. Tuchel a week ago was the was the king. Everyone's saying we should have got him. Look what he's done. A week later, two defeats. People laughing. They realise they are two defeats away from absolutely throwing the season away. Right? Do you see what I mean? So mm. coaches will get it wrong. The experience that Arteta has gained from this season, I hope allows him to react in adversity a little bit, I don't want to use the word smarter, maybe maybe a bit more 
simplistic, in a more simplistic way, to put your players in positions of strength. And I think Rogers has done that really well. And I think that's come from his experience in coaching youth players all the way through various clubs, allowed him to um, to react to his adversity. And I think, Lester, an interesting case of how if you have a process that you trust, you also have to be really strong in your convictions about it in the face of maybe some fan discomfort or uh, crit- you know, expert critical analysis. Because you look at Ian Acho, he was a, a data darling. They had a senior, experienced, aging striker. They got Iannaccio for a reasonable fee, and he didn't pan out. But he's young, and the data liked him, and they had time for him to develop because they had Vardy. But now they look to have someone who can be an heir apparent to Vardy, who seems to be starting to produce. And look, it, it could be a false dawn. I realize that. But there were periods where that looked like a failed move, but because of their planning cycle and his age and Vardy's age and the way it panned out, they wind up reaping rewards for that. I think it's really interesting um, <clears throat> trying to assess process season by season, which is how we look at it as fans. But as a club, you you, you have to take a little bit of a zoomed out view sometimes, which is really hard because of the intense scrutiny and pressure to deliver every season. So I, I guess grudgingly, we can sort of move towards Arsenal unless you have a pressing need, Tim, to, to weigh in on Rodgers and Leicester. <clears throat> no, no, I think it's all been said and said well. Oh, I appreciate that. Probably probably more Paul and Clive, though, on, the, on that point. Um, <clears throat> look, the, the one thing I will say is it's hard for me to praise a guy who has a huge picture of himself hanging in his home and did the three envelopes thing at Liverpool. Like, I, I, It's yeah. weird to me that that guy is good at coaching and players respond to him. Like, I can't, yeah, yeah. You know, he's, like, he's, he's toned that down quite a lot. Mm, and um, yeah. whether that was like, whether that's just a public thing or whether he's just not like that anymore, I don't know. But um, yeah, there, there have been, in the time he's been at Leicester, very, very few Brendanisms, if any. Mm. Uh, he found quick. the self-awareness yeah. gene, didn't he? Tim? He yeah. found it. Yeah. <laughs> he probably watched the video. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really wild. It's just wild to me that a guy who does that is a guy that the players have responded to and has turned it around. So good for him. So let's get into some of the stuff. Let, let's let's play in the sandbox of, of the transfer rumor stuff for a bit. And I, I want to be clear about something, right? Like, not every transfer rumor is true and not every transfer rumor matters that much. There are some strong links, Tim, to Ryan Bertrand. Now, mm-hmm. we're going to debate it because it's an Arsenal transfer and it's interesting. I want to accept that like a relatively cheap acquisition of a backup fullback is not an issue to get your nose totally out of joint over. But since it's a rumor that affects Arsenal and it relates to our process, we're going to discuss it and we may disagree on it, but it, you know, again, this is not in the top 10 things that's a problem at Arsenal right now. So, I will just open the floor to you and we'll have a little bit of a round table on this. What's your reaction to the possibility of us signing Ryan Bertrand? Uh, nervous. It's my <laughs> reaction because it looks like the same mistake that we keep making and we keep having the Cedric conversation and things like that. Look, I let, let's, so let's first acknowledge the difficulty of signing this player to be a backup to Kieran Tierney. It's hard. It's hard to sign it's hard to sign a backup to any player who is an absolute lock in any position. It's it's really, really difficult. Look at look at all the money that lots of clubs have wasted on backup strikers in the last 10 years in the Premier League. Really, the ideal solution is to either have a young per like a young player um who who can do it, who's hungry and up and coming. Doesn't look like we have one of those in the ranks, or to have your James Milner type. So unless Ainsley Maitland Niles comes back 
to the club and accepts that role, which I, I don't think he will, um, then it doesn't look like we have that player either. So it's difficult. It is. Um, and there, there probably isn't a perfect solution. However, signing a 32-year-old, we, we've been here, and any which way you try to justify this doesn't get around the fact. So I, I've seen a lot of people say, well, if, if we give him a one-year contract, okay, then we're here again next summer, aren't we? Doing the mm. same thing, trying to do the same thing. You know, we saw... The other thing, I, I have a big problem with signing players at the end of their career who accept the backup um, option. A bit like Cedric. Um, Licksteiner. Licksteiner, yeah, yeah. And and look, I, d- I don't want to go into character assassinations of those individuals, but I just think in general, if you get a guy at the end of his contract who signs up for the I'll be the backup, generally you don't get the most you don't get the best version of that player because you get a player who's kind of looking after his career, which which they've every right to do. Don't get me wrong, but... It's a last I paycheck. Thinking, they, they know what it, it's about. It's their last it, paycheck. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like, Cedric hasn't come to Arsenal under the impression that he's going to be the first choice. It's because he's 29 and he's won the lottery, basically. And if mm. you win the lottery, you don't tear the ticket up. So I'm, I'm not having a go at him. I was thinking about this earlier and I was just thinking how disengaging I find it to keep talking about these players who are on a meal ticket, you know, um, and it's it's just like, you know, the, the, the sorts of players who, like, I, I, I don't know what the other guys think, but like sometimes um, I, I think about like players like Cedric and I think, what am I going to think in like 10 to 15 years about this player? I'm going to keep forgetting he played for us a bit like I forget sometimes that Eddie McGoldrick mm. played for us in the early 90s. And every few years I think, fuck me, we sold Anders Limpar and bought <laughs> Eddie McGoldrick. Who remembers that madness? And then I don't think about it for another couple of years. And I just find it really disengaging. Um, like I am not disengaged by like let's say Pepe, a signing we massively overpaid for, probably hasn't quite worked out yet. Don't know if it ever will, but I'm not disengaged by that because that's still like an exciting player on his day. It's given us some good memories, and I I can kind of see it even if um I can't see the price tag. I can see the player, and it might not work out, and that's kind of not fine. But do you know what I mean? Like I don't think oh my god. Like, but I, I hate, I just hate the concept of these kind of meal ticket players. The thing is with, with Bertrand as well, it's, it's a lot like Cedric in that Southampton aren't rushing to keep him. Um, and look, I, again, I understand how difficult it is, but is this like, are, we, are Arsenal saying that all over the world, like could, could Edu look me, you, whoever else in the face and say, of all of the options we could get on the globe, Ryan Bertrand is the best one. I don't think so. I think it's just the easiest one, the most convenient one. And if it's a one-year contract, we're just kicking the can down the road till next year <laughs> yeah. anyway. If it's more than that, then it's too much for a 32-year-old. Simple as that. What backs up your point about it lacking imagination is it's a guy we were linked with a couple seasons ago, right? So we've had our eye yeah, on him. It's... We never took our eye off him. And now he's a couple years older and cheaper. And we're just kind of, yeah. you know, staying on and, <laughs> and weren't we kind of... I, so in January, when we didn't sign a backup left back, I, honestly, I accepted that. I completely accepted that because I accept it's difficult and we need like an imaginative long-term solution here. And and I honestly, I did not blame the club for not getting that player in January because I know it's difficult, but at some point, 
we've got to break this cycle of short-termism because the more short-term decisions you make, the more you end up picking up the mess at the other end. And, And it's all very well saying, you know, the phrase in isolation, in isolation. But when there are like five players that you've got like this, it's just no. And and look, if they want, if they really wanted Ryan Bertrand, they could have got him in January. He could have played in the Europa League semi-final. Maybe would have done something there. Again, if they sign him in this this summer instead of in January, when they could have got him, to me it just says we don't know. We can't be fucked to look. Yeah, <clears throat> look. I mean, look at all the loans we've done. Look at all the old players on a free we brought in. And and what it does is it, it doesn't create a base to build from. And it goes back to that Leicester discussion we had about needing to have the, the wherewithal, the metal, to build for a multiple season project instead of trying to solve your problem in season one. And I acknowledge that's hard to do, but like, why was Willian brought in? Oh, it helps us bridge until, you know, Saka's ready or, you know, if if Pepe's not what we thought. And, you know, why was Cedric brought in? Oh, you know, he's an experienced guy who can cover it right back and left back. Well, here we are. Willian's unusable. We're probably going to have to pay him to leave. Cedric is fourth choice at two positions. You know, and if you think of your wage bill as a finite resource and you say, do I want to bring in a guy who gets X amount of that wage bill, even if it's a small amount, and likely is unusable, or a guy we don't want to use, and has no future value to the club. Just, I don't know that you want to be in that position. I'll expand on that in a bit, but Paul, do you have any kind of other perspective, for lack of a, a different way to describe <laughs> it, on on Bertrand? Because there's really a couple issues here. One is, you know, use of resources, which are relatively small. The other is whether the player's any good. And then the final piece is how you solve a problem. Because the one thing we may have to have a conversation about down the road, and I don't want to do it now, if we believe Tierney is a guy who can't play more than 25, 26, 27 games a season, you really have to ask, can we afford to have our star left back, who's one of our three or four most important players, be someone that a third of the season we don't have him? I, I, I don't know that you can be a great club with a key player who you anticipate routinely being unavailable. We've tried that in years past. It didn't go well. So what's your take on, on Bertrand as a stopgap? Uh, uninspiring. Um, taken in isolation, you could be like, eh, okay. But we've done this. It seems like we do this every season. Um, you know, we got Cedric, uh, and the great thing about Cedric was he could play in either fullback spot. Only it turns out apparently he can play in neither fullback spot. <laughs> this is a small, small caveat. <laughs> we misheard the selling point on Cedric. Um, you know, we had Licksteiner. Uh, we it just feels like we we've we've been doing this for a while now, uh, and like you need somebody to tell them stop. But like if it was a one off out of the blue, uh, like what what's what's he got going for him? Um, I hope he's really really cheap, but I bet he isn't because he's like, le- he's coming, a left footer on the left. I mean that that is literally the argument yeah, for it right? coming for his final deal, and so he's not going to be cheap cheap. Uh, chirp a chirp a cheep cheep. Um, on the other, we'll edit hang that on, out. Where in am post, I going don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not helping myself here. Um, the one thing he has going for him is they use him quite a lot. Like he played in 29 games. <clears throat> He's supposed to be fairly solid. Uh, you know, I'm, wor- I'm working here. It, it's so underwhelming. Um, I guess the other good things is we can get it done early because, you know, Edu has the problem of 
um, bandwidth that we saw last summer. And this could be still be quite a ver- challenging summer to get things done. And maybe they just want to make sure they have some kind of solid backup to Tierney. Uh, but it's just underwhelming. I think is it'll be... I don't think we'll like the deal when we see it um, or when we think we understand it. The, the dollar amounts, the the length of it will be a year too long. We'll be paying them too much. It's like there's a world of players out there. Um, you know, there's the Tierney conversation, but uh, I don't know that anybody can tell you, give you a crystal ball and say, you're only getting Tierney for two thirds of every season. That might be what you suspect, but... Um, I think when you have somebody as good as Tierney, you focus on doing everything you can to get him to, you know, 80, 90 percent of the season. I'm not sure there's too many clubs who look at Tierney and say, oh, he's only a 66 percent a season guy. We need to do something different. I think the answer to Tierney is to to the Tierney problem is to make sure you go and get yourself a right back who's. Uh, as exciting or as exciting as you can get um, and close as you can get to what Tierney can do on the other side. And maybe you don't always have two very aggressive uh, full-back, wing-back types. But when Tierney isn't available, one of our problems is, like, when I looked at, this is bad stats, but when I look at December 26th onwards, when Tierney isn't in our team, or rather when Tierney is in our team, we don't lose. We lost to City. 1-0, okay, we lost that one. And we lost to Liverpool, but he was, I think he was off, Mm -hmm. uh, injured before the end of the first half. Nobody else has beaten us with Tierney. Now, that's that's a terrible stat, um, because that's not how stats work, but it feels right is the important thing. We're just (laughs) a much better team with him in it. Yeah. And when we lose him, we do weird things to try and fill in for him, but also we're just we lose a whole dimension to our attack and build up. Yep. And Chambers is goodish, but he's not great. So I think the answer to the Tierney problem is to have uh, a deer and Tierney running up the right wing, or as close <laughs> as we can get. To That's it. a really interesting point. Yeah, I mean, if if you have a a fantastic right back, then losing your fantastic left back is something you can sort of recover from by just kind of tilting to the right. But if you're weak at right back and then you lose your fantastic left back, you're now playing mediocre fullbacks on both wings. And that's ultimately, you know, obviously not great. Clive, there's so much here. Look, the one thing that I want to say is that a lot of this comes down to just not trusting the club because they haven't earned the benefit of the doubt. If you view your club as having made lots of smart moves, you're more inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt on one that makes you look sideways at it. If your club has made moves that you don't like, you're more inclined to say, well, these guys don't know what they're doing, so I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And whether it's Lick Steiner or whether it's Cedric or whether it's William or whether it's Bertrand or, you know, you can go on and on and on down the list. The the idea that we'll just get some really old dude who might have been good at one point and that gives us depth is a very reductive way of trying to do it. And I know there are people who say, how are you going to get a guy who's any good to be the backup to a star? I get that. Liverpool signed a left back. For 11 million pounds, who's 24 years old. Robertson played every single Premier League game this season. It can be done. And I realize you can say, well, do we want to expend our resources on someone to be a backup to Tierney? Or do we want to just go cheap and not have to worry about it? And my argument is, don't do anything at backup left back and use whatever's in your team. Or solve it the right way. Solving a problem the wrong way is never the right answer. And I just want to make this point. Ryan Bertrand has been bad this season. 
That's an important point. You can't, you can't just look at the age of the price. You have to also look at whether they've been good. In almost every major statistical category that's measured for fullbacks, he is in the bottom 50%. He is a 77% passer. He is not a progressive passer. He does not have any end product, which is something that Tierney's really good at, right? Crosses, uh, passes into the box, expected assists, things like that. And if you want to throw the data out, fine, but I would just say this. If the data hates the player, do you trust the club enough to be more right than the data? And I would say at this point, I struggle to get there. So Clive, for me, the short-termism of it, the, the bad data on it, the fact that it feels like resources that don't need to go into this guy and past mistakes we've made lead me to not like it, while fully acknowledging it's probably cheap enough that it doesn't rate in the top 10 problems of our club. It just looks like bad process. And it's really hard for me to see it as much different from Cedric, who's a guy we now have for another three years and doesn't play at all. So... Do you have any different perspective, or is that pretty much where you land on it? I start with that question. Uh, so Cedric, he won't stay three years. We got him for four, but he will go in the next year or so, maybe even this summer, right? So will we be paying him to go? The, because that feels like a thing that a good club probably doesn't do as much as we do. <laughs> no, well, I don't think he's massive wages. But anyway, yeah, Cedric, anyway, is, yeah. we know we know the deal is not great, right? And we know I want the Kia boys all out, all of them. Right, so that make that be nice and neat for me. There's different ways to look at this, right? If you look at the left back situation, you could say Tierney and, and the Bertrand, that's a strong two. We know that one's gonna play ninety percent of the games, eighty five percent of the games. That's a really good backup. Um you can look at it and say which I tend to do is like, you know what, by doing that I don't feel any different about the club. We just were just jumping, doing lap of honor, and William might go. So easy is going, <laughs> and then basically we're doing it again. So how you feel is important. It really is important. And you know, I want to blow this whole lot up. And what's the point of blowing it up and replacing it with similar types of mistakes? Do you see what I mean? There are a number of left backs out there. There's a kid at Hibs called Josh Doig, six foot up, blonde kid, quite athletic, not as fast as I'd like got a lot of potential he's only 18 still got spots in his face and he's not using manscape well he's not ready for that yet right so basically we got him there's another kid at derby called lee Buchanan. finally finally got him to embrace the sponsor <laughs> <laughs> uh there's another kid at derby called lee buchanan who we are linked with nice player a little bit smaller bouncy player a bit more in the chillwell mold gonna be a good player we can look at him there's a kid at reading just signed for Bayern Munich, I think, on a free. And he's a brilliant player called Omar Richards. And I look at him and think, if we want to change our culture and make people feel different, one of those younger players is going to do it. It's going to make people think, we have a plan. We spent 25 minutes talking about Leicester. Not all their signings work, but it feels good. They're all young, sprinty players that want to go on the upward trajectory of their career in a group together with a spine of older players around them. That's all we need to do. A spine of older players, but allow these younger players to have their head. And what I said last week about allow these younger players to develop into new leaders. Remove some of these experienced guys away from your team to allow people to develop. Don't be afraid. You might find potential in people that you didn't know was there. There's a young kid at Leicester called Luke Thomas, the left wing back. Nice player, 19. Pepe absolutely ruined him. Had to get taken off at half-time. Remember that? In that way game this yeah. year? <laughs> yeah. Took off at half-time. He's dancing around Wembley on Saturday playing left wing back. 
in a role where he can be looked after, not on his own, progressive, go forward, got an FA Cup winner's medal around his neck. More than Harry Kane's got. Right? He's got an FA Cup medal around his neck. And because he's been put into a position to succeed, get if we have to lose Tierney, flip to a three, put one by a younger player, allow him to succeed. I think we have to change how we operate. Don't do the same thing again. I can make an argument for Bertrand. You've got a guy called Kolasinic. Kolasinic, Kolasinic. He's on, what, 120 grand a week free transfer. Say we sell him for 3 million. Get the money off of our books. Basically, Bertrand is free. And I mean really free. We don't pay for anything. He comes with a free, homegrown, comes in, sits behind somebody. I can make an argument for it. I made an argument for Cedric last year until I saw him not use his left foot. And I thought, you know what? I'm not doing this again. Let's go younger. Let's build a pipeline of talent. Let's make sure that people that support this club feel different about how we operate. I think that's the most important thing because by doing that, you buy yourself time. You buy yourself patience from the fan base that have been sitting at home on their laptops for a year, desperate to get back into the stadium. I think it's really important that Arsenal Football Club recognise that because if they don't, they're in for a storm in the next few months. You can justify anything. Clive, first of all, all of that is brilliant. You can justify anything. But the goal is for us to be good again, long-term good again. That's what we all want. We have different ideas about how to get there. That's fine. There's no right answer. The right answer would be, if we get good again, then we did it the right way. If we don't get good again, we didn't. But if we use the Leicester example, we signed Cedric. They signed James Justin. Net cost about the same to both of us. We'll probably have to pay Cedric to leave. James Justin's worth $25 million. We signed Socrates. They signed Sunyunchu. $20 million each. One's 30, one's 22. Who's in the better situation there? We signed... We linked with both. That's the yeah. frustrating thing. Well, we linked with both. Clive, we signed Saliba. They signed Fofana. Fofana just won the FA Cup in their starting lineup. And Saliba's playing in France. So, you know, if you can't say... Three seasons from now, I see why we made that move. You probably are making the wrong move. I'm not saying you never, ever, ever make a short-term move. But if you're making a move that you say, beyond this season, I can't see how it possibly benefits us, you probably made the wrong move. And that applies to my Willian opinion, right? Even if we thought he could have been good this season, which he wasn't, okay, shame, we didn't really have an exit strategy for that move. And so, I, you know, again, the other point is, it's where you are in your process. If, you, if we were finishing second this season, two points off City, and we're like, we're going to sign a 30-year-old central midfielder to partner Thomas Party because we're going to win the league next season. Go for it. Make that last leap. But don't do that when you're finishing ninth or eighth or seventh. Clive, it sounds like you want to come back on that point. Well, I'm only going to say something that probably Paul or Tim would say as well. It, it does annoy me that we don't trust people enough. It does a little bit annoy me as well that we are a little bit hard on some of our younger players, if I'm honest. You know, when I'm looking at Willian and I'm looking at, I know it's not a complete simile, but I'm looking at Odegaard and I'm looking at Sabayas and I'm watching I'm watching uh, Willock do what he's doing. And I'm looking at these things happening. I'm looking at Cedric and I'm looking at Maitland Niles having to, having to leave. I'm not saying that these options are absolutely stick on but I'm not seeing a gap in talent I'm not seeing it I'm not seeing a gap in talent that warrants people sitting down I'm not seeing you know why has William got so many as much minutes as Pepe I'm not seeing it 
I'm not seeing the gap in in productivity. Trust our people. Trust the people that we've invested in. See where they end up. If we if we fail with our own people, with our own signings, with our own youth players, then I think people are much more um, forgiving of that. To see them have to go out to different clubs to watch idiots running down the middle of midfield, for example. I'm not going to mention his name. Um, it must be frustrating. And it's very important we change that perception because we want other young players to come. And by the way, we're quite good at playing young players. It's not messed about. But I want us to be better. And it's, it's very subjective. Can't get everything right. But I think, we, I think we've got to stop these loans, got to stop these frees. It doesn't do anything for us. It makes us look small time. It really does. Well, that means we can talk about Sander Burge. See what we think about that one. Um, by the way, I mean, we could also talk Jack Grealish. It's not like everything, everything is sad in Arsenal world right now. But um, I have a message to Josh Doig. How old is Josh Doig, Clive? He's 18. Okay, Josh, it's going to happen soon. And when it does, you're going to want that lawnmower 4.0. So here's what you do, Josh. Go to manscaped.com. Type in the promo code ARSENALVISION at checkout. Your lawnmower 4.0 will come with free shipping globally and 20% off. Josh, when you have to travel for your football games, you throw it in your travel bag. It has a lock switch now, so it won't start manscaping the inside of your bag. It wirelessly charges, but if you don't bring the charger, don't worry. The battery lasts for ages. And when you get in that hotel shower before a game and you realize, you know what? You want to clean things up in case, God forbid, someone pulls down your your shorts while you're playing a game in front of a, a live national audience. You know what? It works in the shower, wet or dry, long battery life. It has a 4,000K LED battery, so you can see exactly where you're going, what you're doing. It has four guard lengths, so you can get the sideburns right, you can get the chest right, you can get the eyebrows right, you can get the privates right. Josh, you may only be 18, but it is time. And I want to recommend to anybody listening, it doesn't just have to be Josh Doig, it can be you. You can go to manscaped.com, promo code ArsenalVision. If you haven't done it by now, it is time. We got a live event coming up in Las Vegas. If ever there's a place that screams, I need my privates, perfectly manscaped, it's Las Vegas. So arsenalvision.com, promo code, uh, nope, that's wrong, manscaped.com, promo code arsenalvision to get your 20% off and free shipping. Clive, is that enough of that? Best one yet, mate. Best one yet. Thank you, man. I, I live for your approval. And the fact that you referenced the sponsor means that we are making some headway. Tim, um... Do you have any thoughts? I mean, you have thoughts. You're, you're a smart guy. You always have thoughts. But do you have any thoughts on Sander Burge specifically? I have uh, really no thoughts on Sander Burge just because I, I can't remember seeing him play. Sheffield United are not a team I watch a lot of. But one thing... So if if I think about the profile of the player, one one thing I'm slightly concerned about is he seems to be so it seems to have been injured for most of this season. Whether that's a regular occurrence or just an unlucky season, I don't know. Um, there is some suggestion that Arsenal, yeah, were interested in him before, and if that's the case, and they still think he has the attributes they thought he had, it could end up being like a smart pickup, you know, because he's probably lost some value playing for Sheffield United or not playing for Sheffield United as as the case may be. So I, I don't really have an opinion um, on the player because I haven't seen enough of him or, or watched him closely enough. Um, he, he's 25, isn't he? He's like, I, I 24, think like, maybe 25. Yeah. One 24. Of those, yeah. So, I mean, he's yeah. 24 until he's 25. So one way or the other. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't have a massive opinion um, on the player. So I, I wouldn't, you know, he's about to be 24. Okay. Um, yeah, so, uh, uh, yeah, uh, this is a long way of saying I don't have a big opinion on the play. 
Let, then let me ask you another thing just real quick, because we'll come back to Sandra Burge um, in a second. David Luiz is leaving. Do you have a strong opinion mm-hmm. about that? No, no, I, th- I think that's the right decision. Again, I think that's, again, it's another one you could justify for another year. You could say, well, we're bringing Saliba back. He's probably not quite ready to absolutely throw in. So we could have David Luiz there for another year to manage the transition. But no, let's not. We, we've done that. We've got too much of that. There's plenty of quote unquote experience in this squad. Um, and I think experience is a vastly, vastly overrated attribute anyway. Um, I, I like David Luiz. I think he's a good player. Um, I think he's been decent, um, albeit I think I do think it was another like fairly a signing of convenience more than it than him being actually the best person for the job. But no, I'm I'm quite happy to move on uh, from from him and maybe learn some lessons by signing another 30 plus year old defender from another Premier League club. Yeah, uh, Paul. I'm going to give you the free swim option to either weigh in on Sander Burge heavily, despite what I can only assume is very limited information, or have an opinion about David Luiz leaving. It's really your choice because Clive will spare us all by giving us actual Sander Burge information. So, uh, yeah, Sander Burge. So, um, I'll, right. I'll, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Tim. I watched uh, Sheffield United when he wasn't there and when he was there, and I still. It's amazing, really, because he's like huge and unignorable. And yet I never really noticed him. Um, I I talked before about that psychology video, the video of these people playing basketball on uh, passing ball to each other. And your job as the as the uh, the uh, student in this is to count the number of times the balls pass between the white team versus the black team in terms of clothes. Mm. And so you're there counting the ball. And what? And then at the end, he says, uh, how many times did they pass? And you say, whatever, 23. And he says, what did you think of the gorilla walking around? And you say, what gorilla? <laughs> and in when they show you the video again, there's a gorilla walking around between these people because you're obsessed in a gorilla suit. It's a human, not a gorilla in a gorilla suit. That would, would really be pointless. Um, and at the end of it, you realize that you're fixated on what you're fixated on and you miss. Anyway, so Sander Burge is big enough to be a gorilla. And I've never really noticed him playing. Um, his stats are interesting. <laughs> Such a long um, way for that. Such a, what, so long vi- to get to that. <laughs> Uh, I think there was a point, and my point was, when I watch his YouTube videos, it's a testament. Whoever the guy in the YouTube video, we should definitely sign. Uh, it doesn't seem to relate to the guy I've not really noticed when Sheffield United play. But, I mean, it does, like, you read a bit on him. He actually looks like he can play a bit. I mean, he's not he's not truly a box-to-box uh, though they play him a bit like that, he's he doesn't have vision. He doesn't having uh, can't pick an incredible pass. But I actually think he'd be pretty useful, pretty good. Um, obviously, a physical specimen, quite mobile for a guy who looks like he won't be mobile, but he is actually pretty mobile. And he's twenty three years and ninety two days old. I've got all the facts, all the stats here. So depending, like if we got him at a really good price and. He was an option. He'd be a lot more interesting as an option than an El Nenny. He would give you something that other our other players don't give. I don't know that I want him as our starter, so it kind of depends on what he uh, what he costs us. But he might grow into it and 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 show us that he's got real game. He looks like a guy who can play um, and a force to be reckoned with. So would I want him in our mix of rotation options? Absolutely, at the right price. 
Mm. Clive, I, I here's what I know about Sander Burge. I looked at his stats. So you could argue that that means I know nothing about Sander Burge. I would argue that that means I probably know more about Sander Burge than our club does. I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let's go with I'm kidding. Uh, do you, I, I think Paul made some good points there. Do you want to uh, expand on the Sander Burge links? And I guess there's two, there's two ways to address this. One is, do you want the player? What do you think of the player? Two is, like, it's not just do you hate the player or like the player, but also would you rather we got someone different, I guess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so if I look at the centre midfield spots, right? So we, we, tend, we tend to have four CMs for, for two roles, assuming we're going to play in a double pivot. And so this year we had Shaka and Sabayas, uh, El Nene and Party, right? So I've got, we know Sabayas is on the way back home. Real Betis, here we come. Um, we potentially have a situation with Shaka where I think he could be going. I think when he was asked to stay, I think he was asked to stay until this point. Mm. COVID was around, very hard to resettle back in Germany. Wife was pregnant, just had a second baby. This is a moment in life where I think he could go. I think think this was agreed, probably while he went for party last year, to get him into the team as our midfield leader. Sanderberg, if we are to get Sanderberg, there needs to be enough someone else as well. There needs to be a Basuma coming as well, because if that's the scenario. Um, Sanderberg is more your Shaka type player, actually. He's a high touch player. Only difference is he carries a bit more. He's six foot five, massive feet. We've been interested in him for quite a while. I mean, when he was at Gank, I can remember doing my YouTube's back then about this player. He's been around, he's not a secret. He's been a prodigy as a young player. And the reason why I linked him to Arsenal is due to that. Albert Dukenberg, whatever his name is, <laughs> he was one of his coaches at Genk. And that's why the link has always been there. I read recently that we put in a bid, it's too low. I'm not sure in the release clause, anywhere from 12 to 25 to 35 mil. If it's late teens, that's a really good pickup, that is. It's a really good pickup. I think he's, he, he understands the league. He is strong. He's got presence. He's got leadership potential. He's part of this Norwegian golden era. I think he has got something about him, but he's got to be at the right number. The sort of thing we should do, find more players that have played in the league. Um, Man City have looked at him as well. Liverpool are meant to be looking at him as well. He has got something about him. So I don't. I quite like the idea of that, but he cannot be the only one that comes in because the other person's got to be first pick, proper money, sprinter, covers. We have three really good players in there and the fourth one, I'm not against on any stain as a rotation option if we need it or we go younger. You know, but I would prefer maybe someone like Aziz to go out on loan, play a full season, and then they need to get an extra year to make sure we have four men in that role that we can rotate around and play three on occasion if we need to. So, um, yeah, I'm not against it, really. I think he's quite right, but it's all about the numbers, mate, to be honest. And if Shaka goes, if Shaka goes, he is, I'll say the closest to him because he's not a lefty. Uh, he has got the ability, you know, he, he's, he is quite high touching there, which I quite like. So, um, yeah, works for me. All right. Well, then let me pick your brain a little bit more with a player whose name I don't even know if I can pronounce, but I think it's Camavinga. Is that right? Oh, right. Oh, yeah. Well, flipping everyone loves him. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I think he's the youngest player to either play for France or score for France. Not sure which way. When he first got introduced playing for, I think he's Renzi he plays for, isn't he? I think um he was purely a DM, but he's now playing number 10. He's back and he's becoming more progressive. 
a lefty player that carries, tackles, shoots, scores, creates. I mean, mm, is that enough? He, is that everything you want from a player, though? Uh, he's uh, <laughs> he is he's in the old days. You'd have he's got Real Madrid stamped all over him. Real Madrid are trying to get him, by the way. They're, they're they're trying to change how they do it. They're not waiting to buy him off off of English clubs anymore. They're trying to get them ahead of time. But the thing is, the way they introduce them is not great when they're ruining careers. It's, they're trying to get young players and they're just ruining them, right? Because because the atmosphere, because of the turnover of coaches, etc. If I'm Jonathan Barnett, who's his agent, who is another Arsenal man, and who's Gareth Bale's agent as well, by the way, I'm thinking, you know what? I don't want to send him to that environment. I want to give him a step club. And, and we're sitting there with our lefty centre mid potentially going. If we get him, that's huge. He is a very good player. There is a risk of adaption, but trust me, every club in the world wants to get him. Mm. You know, every club. So, Every top club wants to get him. So, I mean, that leads me to believe that we're definitely front runners and should have no problem getting it done if every top club wants him. Um, okay, so then, Tim, I mean, I, I think, unless you have, do, do you have anything to add on Kamavinga? I mean, I, I get the sense 18, very, very talented, wanted it by everyone, would take. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I hadn't heard of him um, this time last week, so I, I can't be firm on that. But yeah, yeah sounds good. Sounds, Let's sounds do good. it. I think this is the issue for me, right? And I, I think everybody listening is going to have some level of this factoring into their attitudes about what, what Arsenal does this summer. We're all really curious to see what Edu and Arteta come up with. There's some skepticism. Maybe there's some belief. There's reason to have both. I, I don't want to present this as one-sided. I sometimes say we're a dumb club. We do dumb things. We do too many dumb things, but we do some smart things. It's not like it's it's uniform. How much confidence you have in them and how much faith you have in our process will probably determine the extent to which you feel okay about the things we're going to do and the things we wind up doing. Like I said, I look at the data because I, look, I know Arsenal players, but I'm not a student of world football in the way, you know, like Clive is, for example. When the data says the player isn't very good, it's hard for me to trust that Arsenal know better than the data because I just haven't seen enough good moves from the club to have that confidence. You can sign mm. a guy where the data says he's not very good and the data can wind up being wrong and he can be excellent. I use it as a shorthand to try to give myself a little knowledge on a subject where I fully admit I, I'm out of my depth. But Tim, isn't that really what this all boils down to? That our ability to evaluate moves by Arsenal is based on whatever extrinsic information we're able to acquire and then layering that on top of mapping that to whatever level of confidence we have in the club right now, which for a lot of people, unfortunately, is at an all-time low and understandably. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, it's like Clive says, it's a trust issue, right? How much do you trust the club? You know, on the on the data, I guess I'd say um, I, I I largely agree with you. If, if the data says they're a bad player, there's usually, or, or they're an underwhelming player, there's, there's usually a reason for that. But I, I guess it depends on which data you're really looking at. Um, and, what, and, and this is where having like a clear style and a clear plan comes out. Uh, you know, I was reflecting, sorry, this is a bit of an aside, but I think it's related to this question. I was uh, reflecting earlier today on uh, what a brilliant signing Lauren was for Arsenal. Mm. Like when you when you go back and think about it, I don't remember anyone really talking about it that much at the time because people didn't really talk about this sort of thing in the same depth. But we had Lee Dixon as our right back for over a decade and he was getting towards the end. And we bought a midfielder to replace him. And we played him in midfield for a season. Then we put him at right back. 
where he'd never played before and it really really worked and uh, I, I was just thinking like i'm really curious about there there must have been some nascent data they used but there was something about him that arsene wenger saw and thought I know that I, I'm watching this guy play in midfield, but I think he'd map really, really well to fullback. And then he was completely right about it um, and, you know, replaced a legendary right back who'd been there for over a decade. And it was fine and it was great. And Lauren won loads of trophies as a right back. And I was thinking earlier today, what what an absolutely inspired move that was. Mm. And doing things like buying Colo Torre, who was a midfielder, and thinking, mm, I think he'll be a centre-back, and doing that and it working brilliantly. And I'm, I've, I've always been curious as to how much kind of data that was and how much that was just um, instinct or, or things like that. And so when looking at, I don't know, I guess someone like Sander Berge's data you you kind of you have to consider the type of team you are the type of team that Sheffield United are and whether there are things that impact um some of that data or whether you, whether you think oh no we think he's quite good at this and Sheffield United aren't really doing that um, and maybe there's stuff in the data there that, that that kind of tells you that stuff so um but but you're right like ultimately it comes down to trust I mean Arsenal have made good signings in the last couple of years. They've made plenty of bad ones. But, you know, Kieran Tierney, that's that's a really good pickup. Gabriel Martinelli is an absolutely amazing find. Um, and so there, there have been um, good signings. There have been some good finds. Um, you, you, there, there have been a lot, and there have been a lot of really stupid decisions. I think the reason I'm calmer on, like, the Sander Burge link, for example is not just because I've never really seen him play that much and don't have a strong opinion on him, but but the profile of the player just makes a bit more sense just in terms of his age. He's apparently a player we've been interested in for a while. Maybe we think we can sneak him under the radar now while he's playing for a bit of a crap team and we're thinking, okay, we've liked this player for a while. This is probably our best chance. If we think he would flourish somewhere else, why don't we be that somewhere else? And We've seen Liverpool make signings like this, Andy Robertson, Shakiri. Um, I, I think Andy Robertson, probably a better example, Wijnaldum, players who've been at relegated clubs who nobody else really wanted. And they thought, no, 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 like they thought Wijnaldum, he can do a job for us and what a job he's done for Liverpool. Ditto Robertson. So it, it could be um, something like that. And And I guess I've got more, in a weird way, more confidence just with the Berger thing just because I'm thinking that this is a player Arsenal have obviously looked at and that they really like and they've looked at several times and not just someone they're signing because they know his agent or because it's an easy deal to do do you know what I mean mm. so even <clears throat> if we sign Sander Berger and it doesn't really work I I would think at least well okay but but like th there was a rationale for doing that um, and it just didn't go right whereas so you're, you're saying the process might be okay yeah. and if the process is exactly. okay then you're more inclined to be charitable about the the player specifically exactly exactly and and it all depends on what arteta wants his midfielders to do i don't think we've got a clear we've got a clear look at that yet i mean they've they've broken the bank for thomas party um he was given everyone else really sabios extending his loan a year was just an expedient decision. So I don't think we have a full idea of what Mikel Arteta wants from his central midfield at the moment. And there, I think there is a chance to rebuild in there. So I'm, I'm a little bit, I wouldn't say enthused because I don't know enough, but like I'm, I'm not, I've got more trust um, in the process behind that move think, potentially. That, yeah. That's a really interesting point. And one that I think we should always keep in mind. There's two layers 
to analyzing a transfer. One is, from a process standpoint, does it make sense? You know, do, do you like the way we've gone about it? Is it an area we should be targeting? Do you like the age and the value and all that kind of in-the-weeds nonsense? And then there's the other layer, which is just, do you think the player's any good, right? I am less inclined to trust my knowledge about whether a player is any good and more inclined to trust my knowledge of whether I think the process is good. So to your point, Tim, and I think it's a really good one, if the process of landing on a specific target is pretty good, I'm way more inclined to be charitable about the player valuation. And I think that's an interesting approach, which leads us to an outgoing, Paul, and then we'll finish with one more quick thing. There are rumors that Willian could be going. I think there's been some wet blankets put on those rumors lately and some of his comments, I think, lead me to not believe it. But, but, how important would it be for William to go and what do you think the likelihood is that we will find any way to make that happen? Um, look, I think it would be one of those signals that we're starting to get... We're starting to learn our lessons if uh, Willian left. I don't. Uh, there's the saying, um, hate the sin, love the sinner. Like, I kind of like Willian. I think he should have been decent for us. I think he should have had an okay season. I could see what he could contribute. But talk about uninspiring. Like, uh, the other thing was he was going to come in and experience and, and teach Saka how to play football and shit. Um, he may have missed his window for contributing to the 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 pool of knowledge and experience, etc. in this team. We've kind of like if there was a window, it was probably the first six months of the season gone by where he could provide his uh, Socratic wisdom to our to the understanding of our younger players and like the presence he has and and you know players listening to him and and sitting at his feet taking notes like that bubble's burst that window's gone Saka Smithrow they're pretty much beyond that now um and so like what would you take out of Willian leaving that he got the message that uh, Arsenal has moved beyond him, which mm. would make me happy, and that Arsenal has learned the lesson that that was a mistake, that they move need to move on. Like For me, the biggest mistake was the deal, but maybe also the reading the room part of it. Unfortunately, they then go back for Ryan Bertrand, and you wonder, are they reading the room that, that this is what supporters want? Um, again, you can get away with one, but but we just keep piling these... Cedric, uh, Bertrand, uh, Willian-type decisions. Willian's expensive. It's three years. Be great if he left because we can do we can use that money and use that in all sorts of other ways. But if he stays, uh, I guess we need to work out how to use him. I think he can be somewhat useful, but it's uninspiring. And uh, it would be great if we freed that up, opened up a spot and showed that we had learned and reacted and maybe we'd be better in the market going forward. Mm. <clears throat> you know, one of the things I think that makes it hard to evaluate any of our targets is outgoings will have an impact on whether the incomings look better or worse, right? So like 
if William goes and Shaka goes and somehow we get Cedric to go, for example, and Louise goes, you're going to have a very different idea of what we need to bring in to to fill out the squad and, and to improve us. Like, I don't know that I love Sander Burge, but what if El Nenny and Shaka both go and Ceballos isn't re-signed? Well, then you say it might be Burge plus Basuma. It might be Burge plus Camavinga, right? And, th- and suddenly you're saying Burge as a guy who is early prime, reasonably affordable, third choice center midfielder who can push for a starting role, but you know isn't some aging dude who's just going to fade on us. Suddenly that looks like brilliant squad building. Do I do I think Sander Burge is any good? I don't know, but do I think Sander Burge as a guy to come in along with a Basuma or a Camavinga when we have sold Shaka Elneny and moved on Ceballos? Suddenly that makes a lot more sense. And so these are puzzle pieces that have to fit together. And it's hard to evaluate any of the deals in the absence of those puzzle pieces. If Cola is gone and Cedric is gone and Maitland-Niles is gone and Bellerin is gone and we have to buy a right back and Bertrand is like the last little cheap thing we have to do to have someone who can play left back, like it may look different. So Clive, it's just a long way of me asking you, how confident are you that we're getting Grealish? (laughs) Where is that coming from? Like, why does anyone think we're getting Jack Grealish? Very small things like uh, he likes the Emirates. He's mates with Saka, and he wears his it. socks down like Smith Rowe. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's he's a uh, yeah. He's a he's a or oh, he's a very good player. He's a downhill <laughs> runner. Very good player. Even if he's that, he's, oh. he's in our budget, right? This is where the dis- the, the deteriorating pre- uh, pedigree of the club hurts us, right? Because we just have nothing to offer him compared to the other clubs that are going to be in for him. It, it depends on the whole thing. If I was there was a period in our lives, <laughs> not too long ago, we bought a player called Dennis Burkamp, and we thought, crikey, he was a bit of a broken player at the time. In the Milan, wanted him to play 9, 10, 11, and 7, and because he, he couldn't score goals, he, he wanted to get away, and he came to Arsenal. And it transformed how we were looked at, how we were perceived, and it was the start of a new quality of player arriving. But if you are looking to pivot in your history, Grealish is a sort of player that was... Is, He's perfect for that. Um, but he's got three and a half years or four years to go. Um, he's probably the most coveted player in England. He's the most foul player in England. He's got a fantastic potential, mid-20s. It's, it'll be nice, but I'm not holding my breath because we need to... If we do that, we're going to be doing spending another $150 million on top of that. That's the only reason he'd come. He'd come for a project. So that's the only reason I'd expect him to come you come because we're buying some serious dudes in our team. But there is somebody else that I've been discussing with my mate Tom offline that I think we could get at half the price and actually would fit the culture of our team just as well, if not a bit better, but more forward thinking. Go on. <laughs> and that is the <laughs> and and that is the guy at, um, at Crystal Palace, Eze. Oh yeah. I like that. But they have, right, I mean, now, that's a guy they can't sell, right? Because, like, they, they've got, like, 10 guys out of contract. They're going to probably, hopefully, try to cash in on Zaha eventually. But, like, he's the one thing they have to build for the future with. So maybe too soon he, to be able to get him? Well, we, this is what you've got to do. So Chris might cost 80. I would seriously put down 45 million quid for Eze. Mm. I would do it. And the reason why, you, you have to look around your team and look around the team and say, we've got a group of young players. No, we got we got Balogun, we got Sacco, we got Smith Rowe, we got Martinelli, we got Saliba. This kid just fits that culture straight in. He's gonna be a star. In a year's time, he's gonna be right up there with Grealish. I guarantee it. He's gonna be absolutely brilliant. 
much like with the Josh Doig situation, young Scottish kid, he's got Kieran Tierney ahead of him. It fits. I always remember when we bought Alexis, I really wanted us to buy Vidal. Get someone around him that allows him to feel loved. We didn't buy Vidal. We bought El Nenny. <laughs> so I go, this is did something you've got to do smarter. How did that work? You've got to remember. do things smarter, you know? <laughs> We will not be buying, if we don't get Eze now, we won't be able to get him in, a, in two years' time, I promise you that. We've got to get in there quickly, test people, put yourself at the front of the queue. That Grealish is obviously ready-made all the rest of it, but I, don't, I just don't know where it's coming from, mate, apart from small little links. Um, you make Eze a good point, though, right? Like, do. you want to be good? Buy the guy two years before he's 80 million. And you can say, well, that's hard to do. Yeah. It is hard to do, but that's the job, right? Look at the data. Look at what's telling you. Buy Diego Jota for 35 million and not 70 million. Buy Salah and Mane for 40 million, 35 million, not 80 million. And I mean, again, th- those are also very lucky and they had the Coutinho sale to, to fund it all. I get it. I'm just saying, you know, if you're Leicester, you know, they've they've done it with Ndidi and Ianacho. Well, that, that took a little time to develop and Harvey Barnes and you, you can go through, but... You make an important point, Clive, which is we all want the superstars. Those are fun. But if you can be a little bit more clever in your scouting and a little more you know, able to use the available analytics and the, the fact that we can pay a little bit of a better wage, can you get that 23-year-old before he's the known 25-year-old? Yeah, I mean, we haven't done a lot of that. We've The irony is we've done it with like the 18-year-olds, which is that takes talent, but those are a little harder to hit on would be my argument. I would much rather go for an Eze than, than keep an Odegaard on for another year. Yep. You're looking at Buendia, might cost 30-plus, maybe up to 40. No need to sell. He's not going to be cheap. Good player. I really like him. But then build something that is our We We talk about his other teams. I just want us to be better at being us. right? We, got, we just happen to have a group of London boys developing. Add another one. Add a, while he's he's gonna be he's going all the way, this kid. I'm telling you, he's going all the way. Add another one. Build your identity. Build your culture a slightly different way. Understand where someone's going to be. Much like Tim's Lauren quote. That that is that is genius management. That is knowing your players. Not only did he pick Lauren, who was a midfielder who basically played tucked in right inverted fullback most of the time. Didn't go to the corner flags. He tucked in underlap because the other guy on the left back was never at home. He was always bombing on. This is knowing your players, getting your balance right. The guy, the guy, <laughs> the old guy, before he started look, looking at um, balance sheets and paying back loans on the ground, he really knew his players. He knew how to build a team. He knew the balance of a team. He knows how to fill up zones on a pitch. He knew about pace, knew about physicality, knew about technical control. We've lost a lot of that. We've got to get it back. Some of these players we're linked to are actually quite good, quite physical, quite fast, quite technical. I'm quite encouraged by some of the links. But you've got to be smart. If we're going to pivot and get investment, spend your money on an essay. Jack Grealish will. We're not ready for that yet. Spend your money on an essay first. Mm, yeah, and you know, I get it. There's this panic that says, we, we can't afford to be out of Europe. We can't afford to be mid-table for long. But like the scraping, clawing, short-term patch up the leak approach to trying to get us back to the upper echelon has failed. And now we have a chance to really rip the bandaid off or the plaster off, depending on where you, where you are and how you, what you refer to it as and, and fix it longer term, really tear it down to the foundation, blow it up. As Clive would say, I prefer to tear it down. I'm not as, um, 
violent in my approach to rebuilding. You just tear it down. You don't have to blow it up, but, uh, and then rebuild it. So we'll see. This is going to be a fascinating summer. We got a, a multi-part series on squad building. We're going to do this summer. Hopefully have some stuff for the Euros, but there's still games. We actually play midweek against Crystal Palace and we play on the final day against Brighton. And there's still some stuff to play for the possibility remote. Now it looks of a St. Totteringham's day of even a European place. Um, so we can all find out what the Europa conference music is going to sound like, which, which would be fun, but we'll see. So plenty of that to come. There'll be a, a midweek live stream as well. So I hope you will sign up for our Patreon if you'd like to, cause there's lots of bonus content and we'll be bringing in, um, some experts to, to go over transfer scouting and things like that, along with the experts that we already have here. And then, uh, yeah, just generally lots of good stuff. I hope you're getting ready for a fun summer because I think it could be an interesting one, to say the least. In any event, if you'd like to leave us a review, that would be great. So after the next podcast, we will pick out uh, some names and send some gifts out for reviews. So uh, really appreciate you participating in that. Paul's on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Thank you, Paul. Woohoo! Clive's on Twitter at Clive PFC. Thanks, Clive. Thank you very much. Tim's on Twitter at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Not going to lie to you, expected more arguing today. Didn't happen. Sorry, guys. We'll try our best next time. We love you, and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10, Palace Newport.